0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. My name is Scott Challoner, and you join us on a sunny day here in the capital as once again we bring together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm delighted to be joined first and foremost on today's show by Imogen Morehouse. Imogen is the CEO at Vicon Motion Systems, an Academy Award winning company which specializes in developing motion capture technology, delivering the most precise, reliable, data in any movement analysis application. Um, Imogen, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us.
1: Hi there. Hi.
0: It's a real pleasure having you, Imogen. And um, the reason we're here, of course, is to discuss leadership and really bring that into focus. But considering that today's generation of leaders is probably going through one of the greatest challenges of our time, I think it's fair to say in the shape of the COVID-19 situation, I feel it would be remiss of me not to ask you just to what extent the pandemic has affected you and your operations over the last few months
1: sure um we are um a global a global business and we also have um a combination of staff and disciplines within the company so in fact as march um kicked in we were having to make decisions around several things uh those who had to be within the the offices to work and and to carry out their functions and those that perhaps could um work from home um without too much Challenge. Um, so, what we did was we actually called everything a little bit earlier than than the lockdown actually happened. Um, we wanted to make sure that we kept our production guys who are in the offices um, manufacturing the products that we make, the cameras, etc., safe um, by separating them from the rest of us. So, we went um, and locked down everyone else and got them working from home the week before the twenty third. I think. A little bit of settling obviously took took a bit of time because you have a situation, especially with with, with people with children, um, trying to manage their work, home life from home. Uh, but within a, a relatively short period of time, we were able to settle um, quite quickly. We closed our building down completely for two weeks when there was a very high level of uncertainty. Uh, around the situation in the latter part of March and early part of April. And um, we sent our production guys home. We didn't furlough them, but we just told them to go home. We just felt it was safer. And then we brought them back just after the Easter break. Uh, we uh, reviewed our building layout, uh, the, the, the flow, the separation of people within the, the workspaces, Um, within that two-week period, and then brought them back under slightly different working conditions, under a split-shift system which allowed for separation. Uh, And we've actually been working quite well and continue to work under those um, principles as of today.
0: And would you say that this experience of crisis management, if we call it that, has taught you anything in your capacity as the leader of a business?
1: Um, uh, What it has done is, Reinforced quite the quality of the people that we have in the company, which I'm delighted about. They, the senior managers, have all stepped forward, um, been proactive, and the staff have all been very accommodating. I think what it, it does in, it entail is it makes sure that you're you're, you're over communicating um, during these sort of times rather than under. So we've been making sure that we've been keeping the staff up to date. I'm meeting with my managers much more regularly, perhaps, than I would have done if we were all in the office. And, of course, globally, I have got the offices in um, in Australia, New Zealand, Los Angeles and Denver. So there's obviously been an, an, an international element to the conversations as well with different stay-at-home practices um, kicking in and out in those places as well. So the communication and, and making sure that people people are being cared for has been has taken up a little bit more time than it probably would have done um, under a normal to say normal life
0: and do you think that there is going to be a future for the conventional office space in the workplace under the uh, the new normal or do you think that there'll be more and more people working remotely on a personal basis
1: i think there's um certain certain disciplines where working from home um, most of the time will not affect our business too 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 much, but I feel that I certainly from my own perspective have found this time where a mixed modality is probably more likely the the ability to be flexible with people's time you're as long as you're getting the job done does it matter where you're getting it done um a little bit of a bit of both I think will be more normal moving forward because there's, uh, there's so many advantages to having the mixed system as well from a work life balance perspective mm-hmm. and um an environmental perspective, but we have now realized there are certain certain things that need that are better done face to face um so we are re- re- going to recommence some uh Departmental meetings in the office, just so that you've you've got that face to face contact. Um, as the schools go back, that was a big thing for us was to mm-hmm. make sure that when we're asking people to travel again and to to, um, to have these slightly mixed weeks, that we want to make sure that that happens when other other parts of their lives have have become um, arranged and and their kids uh, and the childcare is is understood.
0: Mm, for sure, if we now shift focus ever so slightly, Imogen, just to address leadership in a little bit more of a broad sense, I always like to ask everybody the question: What the word leader actually means, literally, to you? So, what do you feel the role of a leader actually is?
1: Well, I've always seen myself as a as a facilitator for the business um, and and a community, you know, a, somebody who looks after, who takes care of, and look after their staff, but to in- to ensure that the the larger goals are met, um to empower the staff to do that, to you know, to, to be a liaison between the corporate level of our business and and, and the teams and to, to wrangle. I think I'm a wrangler, I'm an operational CEO as well as a strategic, mm. you know, thinker. I have to do both. Um and also I've always tried to set an example to everybody to you know, to to try and be a person that they respect, um, and that they they want to to follow and and to believe in in the way that I feel the business, the direction the business should go in, um, and just try and be just try, try and be a, a good person, really. And then I think people respond to that um, rather than than perhaps other styles of leadership.
0: And thinking about how the COVID nineteen situation has really thrust the importance of mental health and well being back into the limelight mm. as well. Just mm. how important are those elements within leadership, both in terms of safeguarding your own mental health and also that of those around you?
1: Yes, that's that's been that's certainly something that has um, come to the fore. I think the the challenges of isolation, the challenges of of having, you know. Um, a lot of people in people's houses it's sort of a bit of both it's an isolation and also the opposite we've had we we are taking making sure that our our, our um our teams are okay there's been a lot more conversations that my staff has been having with their teams around that rather than just how they' how they're getting on with their job um and that's that's certainly true all over the, all over the, the world and um, I, I in fact I've had quite a lot of conversations with the US the US team around the you know, the mental health part as well. So we are taking a care to that and um it, it is an interesting an interesting point for myself personally. I found the the ability to have the time, the additional time without the commute, time just to to have the focus on certain things much better for me personally, but I know it's been challenging for others and we're taking care to that.
0: Mm. And of course, Imogen, you're somebody who's been um, in the role of business leadership for quite some time. Of course, you've been in your current capacity, correct me if I'm wrong, since 2012, I think, Um, but you have been in management roles just a little bit earlier than that as well. I think you became MD in uh, 2008 from what I've got in front of me here. But if Mm. you could channel all of the experience that you've got Mm. from essentially being in those managerial roles and then maybe offer some advice to some younger people who may be tuning into this and listening, who maybe want to make it in leadership roles themselves, make it in business. What sort of advice would you go about
1: giving them? Um, well, I think the thing is that my approach was always to be try and be the best person that I possibly could be and go the extra mile, um, but also to put myself up to these roles um in several cases i didn't just i wasn't just given the promotion I went and asked for it. so you have to believe in yourself that you you can add value and you you don't go and ask without reason and without evidence. you go and say if if I do this, I can do these things for the business, but I need to have the the position to do it uh, and put yourself out there because um you don't always just get given it mm. um the way i Kind of approached. It was. It sounds a bit woo-woo, but di- doing the right thing. I tried to do the right thing most of the time. I mean, I'm, everyone's human, gets things wrong, but at least um sometimes that decision might not be ultimately the best decision. But at the time, it was the right decision, and then you mm-hmm. you you live with that decision, move forward, and, and if you need to then change, change and pivot, you do that down the line. Um, be be an honest person, be a kind person, um, and your your management. And the other thing is you're only as good as your managers. And if you want to be successful, you need to let them grow and develop um, and have the authority to, to run those bits of the business themselves. And then, you, you know, you just guide them. So it, it's having that, and that takes time. Building up Mm. your your management team does take time. It takes years, but it, it is very, very fulfilling when you do that because you see them grow as people and as managers in the company as well.
0: Absolutely. And I think you raised a very important point about mistakes just now as well. You have to be able to essentially make mistakes, learn from them and use that to develop and improve, because ultimately I don't think we can ever really hope to be effective leaders in um, our professions. I think that's a hugely important point to take away there. Um, It
1: is. And um, it's easy to be a leader when everything's going well.
0: mm -hmm.
1: But that's not what you're paid for. You're paid for when the times aren't so good.
0: Exactly. And I think we're certainly living through that right now, aren't we, for sure? Um, sure. Unfortunately, Imogen, um, our time together is uh, drawing to um, a close today. But before we do wrap things up on the uh, the programme, um, I'd be interested to understand what you believe is next for you and for VICON over the course of the next 12 to 18 months as we adjust to the new normal and what you're really hoping to achieve as a business during that time. Um, well, the
1: what we're trying to, to achieve is we, we want to try and keep keep as normal as possible. We want to, to provide the services and the products and the, and the care for our customers that we've always done and develop products. We've just got to, we've just got to do it in a slightly different way. Uh, the biggest challenges for us have been are more around the face-to-face part of business, if you understand, with travel restrictions. Um, we demonstrate our products. It's a very hands-on experience. It's motion capture. So you have to trying to do that remotely and trying to, you know, generate the vision in the customer's mind is, some, is probably a little bit more challenging than it would have been under under normal conditions. So I think that the thing to do is to try and keep keep everything as as normal as possible for both our staff and our customers, um, and just be flexible. One of the things that I have learned through this process is if you. If you try and think too far ahead and plan too far ahead, you can waste a lot of time because Mm. a lot of factors are outside of your control. So the old adage of controlling what you can control and not worrying about the rest has been a little bit of a a a mantra for me over the last four or five months. But ultimately, what you want to do is care for your staff, care for your customers and, and keep rolling.
0: Exactly right. And let's certainly hope there'll be some positive news um in the, uh, the coming months to share on uh, that front as well, Imogen. Um, Absolutely. I have to say, it's been a real, real pleasure and also an incredibly insightful experience having you joining us on the programme today. And I think it would be fantastic in a few months' time to perhaps welcome you back onto the show just to see how things um, are getting on maybe in a few months' time.
1: Excellent. That would be an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time.
0: I'd certainly relish that opportunity, Imogen. Thank you. And most importantly, do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on in the meantime.
1: And you. Thank you.
0: I was speaking today to Imogen Morehouse, CEO at Vicon. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary and incumbent Leaders' Council Chairman, Lord Blunkett. Um, Lord Blunkett um, enjoyed a distinguished political career despite being blind from birth, holding a number of senior positions in the Cabinet of then Prime Minister Tony Blair and serving as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years. He was elevated to the House of Lords in August 2015. I hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished the opportunity to speak with Lord Blunkett and all of that is of course coming up next
2: Lord Blunkett, welcome
3: Thank you very much, it's very good to be with you
2: Um, Well of course uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19 which uh, we must touch on Um, what would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going?
3: Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected Mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks, those who uh, don't have um, declined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, Uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff, and of course, whether they can receive the the grant, 10,000 or 25,000, all all of those who can, uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being, and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world. And being able mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important.
2: Do you feel that the long-term uh, effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak... And you're absolutely right. In a in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um,
3: well, the the UK and um, and the US and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries have a very different hi- interest uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required. has gone over the top, and that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool.
2: Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react, uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice, Uh, the health secretary often chairs corporate meetings uh, related to health. Uh, Does this tally with your experience as a Secretary of State, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial
3: stages? I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows, those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust, and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to to demonstrate their capability. So I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential Cobra meetings what I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because Mm -hmm. my experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator but he would get a grip to begin with watch what the difficulties were and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it so looking back I think Boris himself probably thinks god I Wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy. I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today.
2: Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um,
3: Well, it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts, if I might use that term, who'd previously been denigrated, Mm -hmm. scientists, medics, people with behavioural science uh, understanding. My only criticism was, were we getting wide enough advice? Were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centres in London? But that's because I've always been adverse to everything being London-centric. I think there's great expertise, wisdom, experience out in the sticks and uh, we should use it. Uh,
2: Rightly so. Um, Now, was pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary?
3: Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond we did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and and real, on the back of that, but it was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh where the university there had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics, and of course we we saw SARS and other things emerging, I, I think it would. People criticize criticised the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You you can you can sponsor reports. This is true of business planning, of course, as well and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy sh- cut, uh, shut shutdown, um, these kind of things you, you can look at. But you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS or what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed nations that we don't have a vaccine for, Mm -hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for the the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I have put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, Mm -hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food, a lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems, if that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well.
2: So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare.
3: Yes, and to do so on different levels, I think, again, thinking of... Thinking global but acting local, we need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime. Without creating even more anxiety, we can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think.
2: This has been
0: the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of
3: staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.